Bring yourself back online. Welcome back to Freeze All Motor Functions, a Westworld podcast that doesn't sound like anything to me and doesn't take itself too seriously, just like Ross Bolin over here. That's true. I do hold those uh, those two sentiments to my to myself as well. I'm Jared Borslow. We are Freeze All Motor Functions, and this is a podcast that we do that uh, that you've probably been listening to for a little bit now. It's about the television show Westworld. It is. Uh, if you're not familiar with the show, it's, it's on HBO. It com- it's on Sunday nights. Yeah, they probably know all this already. We're coming to you from Grand X Media headquarters in Austin, Tejas, with our Monday episode recapping and reviewing Westworld Season 2, Episode 5, Akane no Mai. Akane no Mai. This was a insane episode. I the, the shift that they've been doing from a complete Wild West period piece to a Edo period Japan that they somehow seamlessly did and have the perfect set for it. This is, it blew my mind, like the logistics that went behind making this episode. I didn't know that it was called the Edo period, so I learned something this week, which is huge for me. I mean, if I asked you right now, during what years did the Edo period take place? Oh, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. So you didn't really learn anything. I learned that the Edo period exists, though. You know, and and you kind of know now what people wore. Well, I, yeah, no, I mean, like I said in a past episode, I played a lot of Shogun, Shogun, Total War, so I was familiar with the garb mm-hmm. and the general, uh, you know, characteristics of the period. Just didn't know what it was called. Still don't know when it is. Maybe that's the next step. If you had to give me right now. A guess of the years in which it took place. 1482 to 1526. That is so unbelievably wrong. Damn it. That is that. That is like... Un- the Edo period was from 1603 to 1868. I was like 200 years off. It, it was like going on during the Civil That's War. That's really not that during far. Like, during like the American Civil War was going off. You That was before Columbus discovered America that you said. I'm going to count that as a win I for would me. not. If I were you, uh, to win. As always, we're going to start off the episode by thanking you, the guest, the listener, for everything you do for Ross and I. We come in here, we record this show. I, I don't sleep the night before, pretty much. But again, I'm not a hero. I'm just doing this for you guys. You know, this is my job. I'm not. I'm not any sort of martyr. Freeze all martyr functions. That's not. That's not. <laughs> you don't have to do that. You didn't have to do that. I had to do it. Freeze all martyr functions. Come that was on. a listener sent that to me. My friend Charlie. Unbelievable. Who listens. Shouts to Charlie. Uh, and I don't agree with it. I'm not a martyr. This is not a situation in which I'm like dying for anybody's uh, sins or anything. But you, Did you just compare yourself, actively compare yourself to Jesus? No, I just said I'm not Jesus. Wow. I'm not Jesus. Okay. Well, now but that yeah. we have confirmed that. Yeah. Yeah. Just to make sure. Like, don't stop saying that. So thank you for listening. The ratings, reviews that you do drive us up the charts. It's huge. We're at like, I think we're at like 5 million reviews now. Something around there. In ballpark. that ballpark. Yeah. And if you're somebody who wants to support the show, besides just what you can do on iTunes, rate, review, subscribe, five stars, uh, uh, tell, your, tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your pastor, you can support the show by buying the official t-shirt of Freeze All Motor Functions that is tight. Right, Ross? And not, it's not tight fitting. No. Uh, it's, no, no, no. It's perfectly comfortable fitting. Yeah. If you're, if you're a heftier, heftier? I think it's a word. Heftier is heftier. the word you're it's looking for. It's husky and hefty. 
you're a huftier boy like myself, I'd order a size up. I, I typically wear in between medium and large because I'm in the terrible purgatory between like is he fat or is he like skinny fat, and I just I go back and forth. But yeah, if you're <laughs> if you're in between like me, I would order a large. That's what I do. Although I'm currently wearing a uh, Game of Thrones oysters, clams, and cockles, chaos as a ladder T-shirt in a medium, and my nipples are only slightly protruding. Uh, so. It's true. You it's just the right amount of nip. Yeah, so you, you can kind of use that to decide. How um, helpful that but yeah, was. This shirt says freeze all motor functions. Even if you don't want to be like, oh my God, I'm repping the podcast all the time. This just looks like an awesome Westworld t-shirt, but it's slightly and clandestinely references our beautiful podcast. Yeah, if you're ashamed of uh, people possibly knowing that you listen to a Westworld podcast where the main host uh, claims to or makes comparisons to Jesus, then no one will know. They'll just think it's a cool Westworld shirt. I did not do that. You did. Use code FREEZE for 15% off. Um, okay, time to get into the show. We're jumping, Good. R- jumping right in. It's about time. Episode 5, Season 2, Westworld, HBO. Anake. Akane. Akane. Akane no Mai, which, <laughs> <laughs> which translated translates out <laughs> to a number of things. Either the Red Dance, which... Uh, that dance was pretty bloody at the end, I would say. It was it was not uh, blue. It was red. And it also translates to, more simply, Akane's dance, which was the bloody non-blue dance at the end. It was her dance. Um, I like to think of it as being a nod to, uh, so it's Akane no Mai, which kind of sounds a lot like Akane, not Maeve. A little. Uh, sure. Enough okay. for me to say that was part of the original intention of the show's writers. Uh, right. I'm going to just, I'm going to leave that, you know, as is. I, I will be referring to this episode as Akane, not Maeve. Because this is Akane we're seeing, not Maeve. Can we just, let's just move past your, your personal feelings about the title. Okay. We start off back in the Mesa Hub as Carl Strand and his team are checking out all the non-functioning hosts that they pulled from the water. Chronologically, this all takes place, we're led to believe, after that scene in episode three where Charlotte asks Bernard where Abernathy is right before we meet good guy Rebus. Okay, there, I needed that clarification. Because I was a little confused about where the opening was in the timeline. Yeah, uh, good guy Rebus does not appear in this episode. If I, I mentioned his name, I don't want you to have like gotten super excited. It was or a bummer, yeah. 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 I miss him. I, he's, he's up in the hills. Maybe next week. There's always next week. There always know? is. I like to think he's going to be like the Neville Longbottom of Westworld. Where he, at the end he's, he plays a huge part. Yeah. He's yeah. gonna come in and like kill everybody. Voldemort, yeah, yeah. The, who's the Westworld version of Voldemort? Probably Dustin. But he's already dead. I don't know that Dustin ever had the the power, uh, the reach to really be like a Voldemort character. Jared, I I think it's probably uh, I don't know that we have a Voldemort currently. Might be Carl Strand. We don't know yet. Well, you know that a lot of people said that. What you said about Dustin, they said that about Professor Quirrell, and we all know how that ended up. Uh, Voldemort was on the back of his head so maybe there's a chance that that there's like some sort of Voldemort situation going on on Dustin's body perhaps each of his butt cheeks is a different Voldemort head man this is really something (laughs) (laughs) any who's it's Carl Strand is surveying a bunch of carnage in a control room we don't know if it's a Westworld one or not necessarily I would assume it is Uh, remember if this is not the Westworld one then this could have been perpetrated by Bernard just with how the whole timelines line up what do you mean? Oh, that he could be responsible yeah. for the carnage? If you still want to look back at the episode one montage, then there's a chance. 
Sure. There are pieces to this uh, currently that I don't think my brain will have, you know, fully comprehended until the season's over. Bernard is there with Strand, looking around, all confused, being a total weirdo. He, he doesn't say anything this episode. He's just looking around like a total creepo. Within a couple minutes here, I was glad that uh, this was a Bern- mostly Bernard-free episode, just based on his face. Yeah, he, he has a, a pretty bad face. He, it's just confusion. Yeah. But like... That's the face. The kind of confusion that's like, more so than he doesn't know what's going on, like there's some crazy shit going on in that head of his... Yeah, like it looks like somebody who's like maybe about to poop their pants on a bus. Yeah, exactly. That's the face. So Mailing uh, calls in and tells Strand that they're almost done dredging and skimming the hosts out of the water at the big flood where all the host bodies were. Yes. And that they've begun draining the valley. Uh, speaking of the valley, those of you who believe that the flood is covering up whatever excavation site William was showing Dolores are feeling pretty good about yourselves because it appears, judging by the mountains in the background, that this is the same spot. I've, yeah, we put up that picture. I don't know if we put up the picture. Oh, we, well, I saw a picture. Somebody showed me a picture. It's going. It's going around the interwebs. Is it viral? It's it's viral. Viral. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah. My last Wessel Photoshop just went viral. They look. It looks like we're dealing with the same spot. Mm-hmm. So that's where the flood is covering up whatever William and, was showing Dolores. And we don't know what caused this flood, right? Nope. Okay. Not yet. Or where the water came from or... But remember, Teddy's last name is Flood. Wow. That is interesting. Maybe. I had not, yeah. you know, made that connection. I'm just going to jump ahead quick and just throw out... This is this is going to be crackpot theory either, either uh, three or four. Because I have other crackpot theories later on, but I'm, I'm, I already have numbers for those. So I'm coming back. I'm making an on-the-air crackpot theory. What happens at the end of this episode is that Dolores gives Teddy the powers of the Wonder Twins. And he's able to transform into the shape of a bucket of water that causes the flood. Who? The, the Wonder Twin powers activate. And then one of them can like turn into something cool like animals or whatever. And then the other one only turns into a bucket of water. Who the fuck are the Wonder Twins, How do you Jared? know so much about Pinky and the Brain, but you don't know anything about the Wonder Twins? I just don't. I haven't even heard that phrase before. The Intern Wonder Luke, Twins. do you know about the Wonder Twins? Yeah, see? Will you just tell me? How about that? I just I just told you. No, no, no. But like, is this from a show? It's an old uh, superhero thing. But like, I'm older than you. How is it possible that there would be a superhero thing that you are aware of and I'm not? I watched a lot of Boomerang. I don't even know what that is. I mean... Okay, I'm looking at a picture of the Wonder Twins now. They don't even look familiar. This looks like something from the 70s. Is this... Uh, it's from... It's from a long time ago, I think. Well, you know what? Again, I'd suggest we move on. I, I'm i going to take that suggestion and run with it. Mailing uh, is talking to Strand who... What are you saying? Mailing? Mailing. That's the name of the, the like host who's on the phone with, with Strand here. She's the lady host, the, the lady uh yeah. security guard. Employee of Delos yes. that's out in the field still running it, right? Yep. Running, running, running the show. Running the show while Strand's back at the maze hub. Gotcha. And Strand says he wants every piece of evidence brought to him so he can try to figure out what's going on with the hosts rebelling. Mailing, what does he mean by that? So she she says, Do you just want the hosts or do you want everything? Like their clothes, their guns. And, and he, he says, wants everything. I want everything. Every Stetson, like it's, I think it's a hat. Yeah, he, he, it is a hat. He, but that seems like a lot of stuff. Like where are they going to put all that? I don't There's know. There's like hundreds of bodies, were there not? 
There were a lot of bodies. In there. A lot of bodies. Yeah, they're still bringing them in. Uh, it looks like, yeah, they're just piling them on. I don't know what 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 evidence is he going to find in a hat. Like, that is that is the Stetson hat going to be like the clue to all this? It's just an interesting way to go about, like, it's kind of like CSI, like crime scene investigation style stuff. But instead of him going and analyzing all of it there, they're moving all of it, which seems counterproductive to the whole evidence gathering process yeah. i don't know i'm not carl i don't know what he's thinking floki up, up there doing his thing Are whatever you, you have problems with carl strand's chain of evidence a little bit i don't think any of this holds up in court yeah well <laughs> i don't either uh he's trying to figure out what's going on here that's why he wants to check out every single piece of evidence trying to maybe get an idea mailing also says she has two teams out looking for abernathy and strand says that when she finds him to bring him to him personally so go find abernathy bring him right to me you bring him right to me. Like, he he doesn't want anybody else messing with him. So he might be kind of tuned in to Charlotte's plan. At the very least, he knows that Abernathy is really important and that there can't be a lot of people involved in his kind of extraction. Yeah, I had never considered that he might not be aware of what Charlotte was doing with Abernathy. Is that a possibility? Oh, yeah. He knows that, he's, that finding Abernathy is of the utmost importance, but he probably doesn't know what's why. He just knows this is... The head woman in charge is telling me I need to do this, so I'm okay. going to do it. Okay. So I don't she, think, I don't she is above Carl. Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. Charlotte's like, I mean, as of right now, with, with Ford otherwise indisposed, Charlotte's like the head of all of this. Got it. So we have uh, weird-ass Bernard is still being super weird and quiet and a total loser, I have written down in my notes. Wow. Yeah. Harsh. I, he's just be, he's being weird. Strand talks to Costa and learns that Costa is like the tech who's they brought around. He's the guy who cut open the Ghost Nation's head. Yeah. The, the guy who really likes sterile environments. Yeah, he's like, this isn't sterile. He uh, is doing research into what's going on here, and he finds out that one-third of the host's control units contain no data and seemingly never did. So it, this seemed like a big reveal to me. Yeah. And I don't know what it means, so I'm hoping you do. I do. So one third of the hosts that they have, uh, like, I, th I, I'm pretty sure it's one third of all the hosts, not just the ones that they picked out of the water. I think it's a third of all the hosts control units look as if they never contain data. It's like if you get a, a new computer that has no data on it. Right. But if I wipe my current computer and give it to you, there would still be data there just like all ready to be covered up. The files are in the computer. Yeah. There's always money in the banana stand. Okay. So what's happening is that these control units of a third of the hosts in the whole entire park look like they never had anything on them. And to compile with that, there was a fire in the cradle, which is where the hosts' backups are stored, meaning that all those third of the hosts that had nothing on their current control unit and who had no backups, all of their IP, intellectual property, I think is what that stands for. That is what it stands for. Uh, is all completely gone forever. That's a problem. Carl is... Uh, He's not happy with it. Not happy about losing one-third of his IP. If they're saying that all backups have been destroyed because of this cradle fire, this cradle robbery, if you will, that means that the control units are the only copies in existence of these hosts' code. So it actually does make the stakes that much more real. Like, if I go, if I go and kill, like, some random dude and I smash his control unit to bits... That's it. Then he's done forever, which is pretty crazy. So he this can't be brought back. No, this makes the stakes more real for the host now. That's an interesting perspective. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I've been told that by many people about a lot of different things, not just this topic. Creeper-ass Bernard is staring down at Teddy. Uh, 
while Strand talks about trying to figure out how this all fits together. Dead Teddy. Teddy's corpse. Teddy's corpse. Teddy's um, body. Naked, which, naked Ted. Naked Ted. By the way, Teddy. Cakes. Does that mean he's got a nice ass? Oh, yeah. Okay. Teddy, you, well, yeah. I mean, we'll get to that. Why don't yeah. you just calm down? Cakes. Uh, and Bernard staring down at Teddy kind of helps out the Bernard has Teddy's brain in him theory. You I know? Mean, okay, so this is what... All right. Help me understand this. Bernard no, no. is looking at Teddy, naked Ted's dead body. Cake. And I see Teddy later in this episode not dead. So I'm trying to wrap my head around when... This is all in the future still. Compared to the Teddy Dolores timeline we're seeing. Yes. Okay. So this is part of the Bernard wakes up on the beach. They go see all the hosts floating. They And then they take them all back to the Mesa hub. That's, that's, that's all later on. That's in the future. Like then the main things yep. we see in this uh, storyline in that this is episode. all like two weeks in the future. Okay. Thank you. And then we go back in time. As we do, this whole pretty much season is about looking back at what already happened. Like everything we see is, is in the past except for these scenes with, with creepy ass Bernard and Strand. If you ever find yourself thinking like, come on, Ross, you dumbass, like get with the program, figure it out. Just remember, I'm trying to put myself in the listener's shoes and act as the least educated person here. It's all just part of the show. It's not, I'm not actually this dumb. I am. This, yeah. It's no, real. These are real questions. There's some people who are listening who, if, yeah, if you're like, wow, how does Ross host a Westworld podcast and ask a question like that? It's because he's trying to be a very uh, relatable guy. I'm just stupid. He's not stupid. Don't I really have no idea what's going on. <laughs> Cut to Shogun World. We pick back up where we left off with Maeve and the gang getting attacked by a Japanese warrior whose name we now know to be Musashi. He's not taken very seriously at first. Maeve kind of matrixes out of the way of his, his uh, blade. And then Armistice says he looks like a dead man, implying she's going to kill him. And then Maeve says, you know the old saying about knives and gunfights, which I guess is an Indiana Jones reference. Somebody on Twitter pointed that out. Uh, it's a, that's just a saying. Never bring a knife to a gunfight. But I feel like in this... I don't know if it originated in Indiana Jones. I think no, it's... No, no. I know the saying, but I feel like they do a lot of references here, so I wouldn't be surprised. And then, uh, you know, they're, they're really downplaying this guy's dangerousness, you know? They're like, oh, this guy's with a sword. He couldn't do shit. They're like, oh, look at this moron. Dressed funny with a sword. Backfires <laughs> very quickly. It does. They all get lassoed. That cracked me up. <laughs> why, Lisa, why is that how he says last? I don't know. Lee says... Does the saying referring to the knives and gunfights one uh -huh. have a footnote about fucking lassoes then? Yeah. He says lassoes. I did like a spit take when he when he dropped that one on us. I just kept hitting the HBO Go, go back 10 seconds button over and over to hear lassoes. 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 Um, it was insane. And apparently we learned, biggest reveal in this episode, that Lee is deathly afraid of lassoes. Huge. Um, that's going to come back surely later on in this uh in this season, right? Yeah, I'd be surprised if it didn't have a lot to do with the finale. <laughs> of the whole series? No, just this season. Oh, okay. Lee says uh, that, and then Maeve then tries to control Musashi and his gang with voice commands. She thinks they worked and gets all smug like she did with Ghost Nation. Yeah. Like, gets that little smirk like, oh, look at me. I'm so smart. But they don't work, and they just lead to Maeve getting gagged. It's good that Maeve makes some progress here in this episode, quite a bit of progress here in this episode, uh, as we see later on, because at this point, I was getting really sick of seeing her swing and miss. Yeah. Yeah. It was, and I, I think it's necessary to have seen her do that to be able to appreciate her new voice that much more. You know? Yeah. Like, we see her keep just, just throwing 
throwing balls. And well, in this case, it turns out she's just speaking the wrong language. Yeah, exactly. So she it ends up working a little later on, but I love I love Shogun World's response to Maeve's voice commands. We'll get into all that later. That was I thought that was so well done, the way that they uh, try to get her her and her witch powers to stop. She's a witch working. She's a witch. Burn the witch. Yeah, Maeve's voice commands don't work. She gets gagged. Um, Maeve just getting humbled. Sit down, Maeve. Be humble. This Get is a great heart. setup, as I said, for Maeve's new voice. Um, if this one's not working, gotta find a new one, right? That's the truth, Jared. We learned from Encyclopedia of Park Info Lee that the dude who took them prisoner is a cop killer. Sylvester, overhearing this, is scared to be the prisoner of such a man, and his first resort uh, when confronted with this fear is to ask Felix if he can say something to them because they are both Asian people. It's racist. Yeah, uh, that's not how it works. Felix was born in Hong Kong, so he does not speak Japanese. Those are those are totally different languages. From Hong Kong, you asshole. Yeah. So Sylvester doesn't seem to have too much uh, knowledge of, of of how to not be racist. I I was I was in shock by the lack of Sylvester because we got some Sylvester up front here, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh man, it's gonna be a big episode for our boy. Not so much. Kind of, a, kind of a background guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Encyclopedia of Park Info Lee continues on to give us a absolute golden shower of even more info. Just rains it down on us. Wildly unnecessary. We're in Shogun World, which was designed for guests who find Westworld too tame. It's yeah, this is interesting. Yeah, there seems to be a hierarchy of like, what can you handle, pussy? Well, and I love that they could just be like... Every, you know what I mean? Like every new park we discover, it's like, what's the next one going to be for people who find mm-hmm. Shogun World too tame? Yeah. It's like, let's just keep stepping up the violence. What, what would you do? I don't know. I, we find out pretty quickly here in this, just how violent Shogun World can be. So it just, what's next? A nuclear Armageddon. World. I, know, yeah, I don't know what's <laughs> after that. Like, you literally die. You have to die. That's how it ends. I mean, I've seen the dude get half his head cut off in this episode, so I'm not really sure what's going on here. <laughs> yeah, that was unbelievable. Just, just straight can opener status. <laughs> We learned that Shogun World is based on Japan's Edo period, like Ross learned. It uh, takes place around the time Columbus came to America, in Ross's head. Which not. I learned, uh, wait, that's not accurate? No, we talked about this. Okay. You were like 400 years off, but it's okay. Well, okay. it's technically 200 years off from the start, and then 400 years off from the end. There, you had such a massive window that you could have chosen to hit into. You could have said anywhere from what, like, what, is, what did I say, 1600 to 1860? <laughs> Jared, out of the thousands of years of human existence, I think I did a pretty good, that was a pretty good guess. Pretty good. I'm going to get, that's like, you know, it's like hitting a bullseye, but like on the outer ring of the bullseye, not the dead center. Yeah. So you got a single bull. Okay. I'll, I'll give you. Thanks. That. Yeah. Lee also says, we learn that all hosts are fluent in a ton of languages. Maeve consciously, because she's a madam and needs to be able to speak to any customer, any customer. Um, well, Actually, Maeve is not, yes, any customer, but not in the same way as Hector, for instance. So all the hosts can speak a ton of different languages to be able to accommodate guests, right? Right. Maeve can speak these languages consciously, and Hector can only access them subconsciously. So does that mean Maeve can actually speak the languages out loud and Hector can only understand them? Or what does that mean? So what it means is this. 
Maeve can speak these languages because as a madam, this is all part of her narrative. At, at, yeah, part of like her programming is that you are the madam of a brothel. A madam of a brothel needs to be able to speak a ton of different languages. So she's programmed to understand them consciously. Hector, on the other hand, can only speak these languages if they're spoken to him by a guest. Hector only knows uh, Lakota, or the ghost nation language, and he knows English, right? Okay. But if a Chinese person goes to the park, in, a, in order to accommodate them, he can subconsciously switch right to Chinese. But he doesn't know that he's doing that? Nope. Okay. His character, Hector, doesn't know Chinese. Got you. Okay. Thank but you. as a host, all hosts are programmed to know these languages subconsciously. See how we walked through that together to make it clear? That's the point of this podcast. Yeah. Ross, if anybody was wondering what the hell the point of this thing is, that's... Pretty much it's just to help me understand what's going on on my favorite show. That's it. Yeah. It's, it's, are we even recording right now? Or am I just talking to Ross? No, this has all been a big sham. It's just it's just me. I found a way to use work hours to have Westworld uh, better explain it to me via your nerdy head. Uh, it seems like maybe it'll come into play, the fact that the host subconsciously know new languages at some point because Lee references it and then kind of drops it. It's a big thing to keep in the back of your mind, yeah. Lee knew from the second that the Warriors didn't switch to English once he started speaking English that the same malfunctioning shit show that's playing out in Westworld has found its way here. Which is interesting. What Does that mean that when our boy Ford set all this into motion, he set it into motion across multiple parks? Or did that just happen as a result? Is it intentional or unintentional? That's a great question. Yeah. We the, don't know yet, I guess, but... My guess is that he just made all of the hosts able to break off of their, like, straight narrative loops. Across a minimum of six parks is what we're aware of, right? Yeah. We've seen three firsthand, and we're led to believe it's happening in more, just based on the fact that it happened in three so far. But yeah, that, it's interesting that even further this whole kind of language th- deal, Lee knew that it, shit was fucked up, because right when he said Lasus. They should have started speaking English to a, to appropriately adjust to the fact that he's a human being. Yeah, exactly. Speaking English. And we learn that Maeve's voice commands didn't work on their attacker, Musashi, because she spoke English to him, not Japanese. Thank you for the info, Lee. That was huge. That's what Lee's there for. Just drenching us in information. Unbelievable. The samurai prisoner convoy enter a town, and then we see some scenes from this town, and all agree with Armistice when she says, this all feels a little too familiar. I love that they shot this from an angle where if you didn't, you know, within 15 seconds realize, oh my God, it's the exact same setup as Sweetwater, then you haven't been paying close enough attention to this show in general, but because my dumbass got it, and uh, and as we know, I'm not the most uh, intelligent person in the room, so... That was very cool. It's, it's it's the exact same freaking thing, except it's got a totally different style of architecture. Mm-hmm. Japanese. Edo. Edo. Edo? Edo. Whatever. And it's so similar that Paint It Black starts playing on Japanese instruments this time around. Love it. Uh, we see the Japanese version of the Mariposa. It's got a butterfly out front. In the sand. In the sand. And Which is like we- a thing. It's like that was sand art, something they did in that period. Is that true? Yeah. Oh, cool. We see the uh, Japanese Shogun World version of the sheriff, or the sheriff's deputy, I think, who goes out to Musashi and says, that's Yoriki Yamamoto's horse. You miscreant. I like miscreant. That's, we need to bring that word back. The concept of, of, of watching 
the same exact scenario that we saw play out in in Sweetwater. We saw it at least three times in the first season, right? Yeah. Where Hector rolls in with his squad and this exact thing plays out with the sheriff or whatever. I loved this. It might have been my favorite part of the whole episode, honestly. So usually it goes like, that's a sheriff's horse. And then Hector shoots him and goes his uh, rifle too or whatever. Yeah. And this time he goes his Sodegarami too. Right. Which is just obviously as Shagoon rolls it gets. Uh, I was going to say that Lee should be scared of the Sodegarami instead of Lasu's because this thing looks badass in a very terrifying way. But then I read up on it on Wikipedia. The Sodegarami, Sukubo, and Sasumata comprise the Torimono Sandogu, uh, the three implements of arresting that are used by samurai police to capture suspected criminals uninjured. The Sodegarami was used to entangle the sleeves and clothing of an individual who could then be more dis- easily disarmed or dealt with. This is literally, you hook it onto their clothing, and then you're just holding them there. That's the whole point of the Sodegarami, and he just uses it to smash a dude's head in. I guess it could be used for different things. Yeah, but isn't that it's pretty interesting, I thought. It's it a, is. It's a clothing catcher. That's what I love that you took it one step further and did that Wikipedia research, son. That's what sets us apart from all the other Westworld podcasts. It is. Yeah, but it's not clear by now. Uh, this is all an almost exact copy of the safe heist narrative in Westworld, complete with a dragon-faced Shogun World armistice. Now, my question, my biggest question about this uh, reveal here that there are massive parallels between the parks is that as a guest, you would think there would be guests who go to multiple parks, right? Like if I've seen Westworld a few times, it's like, all right, I'm going to try out Shogun World or maybe Westworld's not violent enough for me. And it's like, all right, I want to go see people get their half their heads cut off or whatever in Shogun World. And then you get there and there's an, you would very quickly notice that this is the exact same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be upsetting to you as a as a <laughs> seriously like yeah. like hey what do I get a big discount here because this is all the same shit just with a different style and twist? It's like I go to Magic Kingdom and I'm like oh this is tight I'm gonna go to Epcot now and I go to Epcot and it's just like slightly more different architecture yeah. exact same setup and design. Instead of Goofy they got like Gorfy and instead of a dog he's like a he's like a, some sort of porcupine. I'm just wondering if we get some explanation about that or some type of. Uh, statement about that at some point here because it it seems like a problem you know in in their whole business plan i can't stop picturing what gorfi the porcupine would look like now don't know what that is and i'm not gonna try that was that was that was what i just said it was the epcot version of goofy oh gorfi is the epcot version of goofy he's a porcupine that you just invented yeah intern serena you should waste your time making a gorfi the porcupine and I don't know what he looks like. You have complete creative direction. I'm going to suggest you don't run with that one, Serena. Please do. But please, it has to be no copyright infringement. We don't, please, we're not trying to get involved please don't. with Disney's litigation department. Um, yeah, Lee owns up to it because Armistice is like, dude, these are all us. And this is, this is, this is the safe heist narrative. And Lee goes, yes, fine. I may have cribbed a little bit from Westworld. Well, you try writing 300 stories in three weeks. As our intern Serena pointed out, this was such a funny little. This is such like a writer's joke that the writers put in for the writers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I like that. You, you think that this is them? This like, is so meta. Well, do you think that this is the writers kind of doing a nod to like anybody who's calling them out for just replaying the same narrative? I or don't do you know. think this is always in the plan? That's like a chicken or the egg question. Yeah. That's my answer. That's your answer? Okay. Yes. <laughs> I guess that makes sense because you can't answer that question. Yeah, so. I can't. I love this move by Lee. Uh, 
Okay, Lee, you're tasked with making a new version of Westworld that's more dangerous and thrilling for guests, and that's based in the Japanese Edo period. Oh, okay, safe Tice it is then. Yeah. Like, what? What does yeah. that have anything to do with this? Yeah. You just, you just put a safe heist in. Just a different language. The narrative plays out. There's a big fight in the town with the girl with the dragon tattoo holding it down. Shouts to Steve Larson. Huge. Musashi goes and kills a Chinese delegate to steal his gold and then runs into the Maeve of Shagun world, a geisha named Akane, the namesake of this episode. Armistice saves the girl with the dragon tattoo from a would-be assailant, leading to Armistice, Maeve, and Hector's release. Maeve comes into the part of the safe heist where she blows that dude's brains all over the player piano to call order and prompt a civilized conversation between the two parties. So far, we see Armistice save Shogun World, Armistice and Shogun World Maeve agree with Maeve, but still no goodwill between Hector and Musashi or Lee and whoever Lee's Shogun World counterpart is. I like to believe that uh, Lee's Shogun World counterpart is Gorpy the Porcupine, who we will see at a later time. I don't have any words to respond to that with. None? Just the ones I just said. Well, I know you have some words about this, Ross. The Lisa Mattress. Always. Lisa Mattress, number one sponsor in our hearts, in our brains, and in your pocketbook. Lisa Mattress is the number one mattress that you can order through the mail, comes right to your door. It ships in this tiny little box, and you put it out. It expands. It is awesome. Ross and I both sleep on Lisa mattresses every single night, and I swear to God, I'm getting the best sleep of my goddamn life right now. Lisa boys. So I got my Lisa mattress on Wednesday of last week, and I've been sleeping on it every night since. Legitimately, I feel more relaxed. Your face looks less shitty. You look slightly skinnier. Uh, Everything about you seems to be improved. I'm only going up from here, too. It's like each day I'm getting better and better. I'm becoming less of a trash human. All thanks to my Lisa mattress. Granted, you started in a position where you could only go up, but still, it's it's encouraging to see the Lisa mattress bringing such positive results to your life. Yeah. Um, and I will also say this. You can get a phenomenal deal on a Lisa mattress right now by going to lisa.com slash freeze or using freeze at checkout. Ross, what's that deal? You get 160 bucks off your mattress. If you get a Lisa mattress until the end of the month, it's $160 for the Memorial Day special they've got going. Uh, after that, I believe it'll be 130 again, but take advantage of that now while it's 160 It's just for Freeze All Motor Functions listeners, just for you, the guests. And uh, like Jared said, if it's time, for, if you're looking, you know, your mattress isn't great, maybe you don't love it, or maybe it's time for you to uh, replace it, this is the way to go. You don't have to leave your couch. You order straight from the internet. It comes straight to your door in a box. It's very, very easy. It's very, very, very good and comfortable. It's the best bed I've ever had in my life. I couldn't be happier. Think about whenever you hear an advertisement, it's usually like, this is a paid spokesperson. Like, yeah, they're paying us to do this, but Ross and I legitimately sleep on these mattresses every single night. Yeah, it's, it's, I've spent an outrageous amount of money at this point, um, acquiring other Lisa products because I'm. A massive fanboy. I have I have like four pillows now. It's it's a mess. We've got the sheets. I'm I'm a mess. Not I have a blanket. Only, yeah, Ross is a mess. But it's a beautiful mess. A very comfortable a mess. Very comfortable mess. Not only is Lisa good for you, it's good for the world. One mattress is donated for every ten sold, and one tree is planted for every order received. They've donated twenty three thousand mattresses thus far. It's it's amazing. It's people it's, helping people. You get a great deal. That's Lisa dot com slash freeze. Lisa.com slash freeze. Freeze. All right. Back to the show that you're all that you're all listening to. It's called Freeze on Motor Functions. It's about it's about 
Westworld. Cut back to Sweetwater. I love seeing the identical bloodstains on the player piano sheet music. This was cool. Like, literally, you can see one, like, dried up, and there's just a new fresh one. Like, it's right. just... How are they doing the same blood stain every time when Blaine, when uh, Maeve blows that guy's brains out? I do not know. It's that perfectly coordinated to where she shoots him. He's standing at the exact same angle. She shoots him in the exact same spot, and it goes in the exact same part of the player piano music. That is Pretty insane. wild. Absolutely insane. Teddy talks about this being a homecoming, them coming back to Sweetwater. Dolores counters by saying they were around long before Sweetwater ever existed. And then Teddy spouts out programmed garbage about how no matter how far he strays, something always carries him back to Sweetwater. Yes. Dolores says something like that, and we learn that the train is the reason she returned to Sweetwater. So she wants to use the train to more quickly uh, travel around to get her dad back, right? Yep. Okay. Um, yes. And I, I'm kind of sad that I really thought intern Serena's theory about the paintings was what was going to happen here. I was waiting for it all episode. Didn't pan out. Still might, but didn't yet, which is, uh, that was rough because I was like all in on that theory. And they, to, for those of you as a refresher, the theory was that Dolores was going back to Sweetwater to find the paintings that she did, like the, the huge stack of paintings that she would paint every day because uh-huh. maybe there was something hidden in there from Arnold or it's just something good hidden in there. Still need that to happen. Turns out she wants a train. Yeah, she's like, you know, you everybody knows at least one person who's like really into model trains. The person I know is Bobby from The Sopranos. So he's not real. But still, yeah. Um, that's Dolores. Yeah, she wants to strip it for speed too, which I like. Um, I like when the train's built for speed, not comfort. What's that? What's that? What's that really famous model train company again? Tyco. I don't think it's Tyco. Do you know what it is? In Thomas the Tank Engine. Lionel. Lionel Trains. That's what it is. Never heard of it. Shouts to all the train boys out there. Shouts to Thomas the Tank Engine. Oh yeah, he, he's he's a real one. He's a good guy. Beautiful blue boy. What? <laughs> Weirdo. Let's talk about Dolores' conversation with Teddy. Dolores is playing into Teddy's narrative loop by bringing him back to Sweetwater. And this all works into Dolores' bigger plan that yeah. we see all episode that I assume she hatched ever since Teddy didn't kill Craddock. And again, it's what leads me to believe that, that she is very much still, regardless of what you think... It's all about manipulation with her and Teddy. I, I it really, I'm struggling to believe that there's any real emotional connection or feeling there. I think that you are, I, I, okay, I think that you are very right in that you did predict that she was going to use Teddy and, uh, you know, like betray him, kind of. You predicted that, I will say, well done. Thanks, but... <laughs> But I, she, I do believe her feelings for him are real. Yeah, I mean, when she does what she has to do later on, she's very pained by it. Yeah. But it, I still get the impression that like that still might be part of her game. Like she knows she's supposed to seem pained by it, so mm-hmm. she does. I don't. It's hard for me to read right now. Um. But anyways, this whole plan we're talking about of Dolores is is to test Teddy's hostliness, and as we all know, hostliness is next to godliness. They say. That is what they say. That's a, it's an old adage. Uh, I believe some grandmas stitch it onto pillows. Yeah. It was in the Bible. The, the what? The Bible. It's time to play everyone's favorite game, Ross. Do you know what that game is? Who wants to be a millionaire? No. I haven't watched that since Regis Philbin left. Oh. It's Is It Cheesy? Oh, love this game. 
Dolores talking about the train and saying, looks like she's taken some hits the past few days, but who hasn't? Referencing, referencing herself getting shot. You have an uncanny ability to pull the worst line from each episode. <laughs> this was the worst line from the episode again. And I mean, it's just like, it, it, if I'm looking at my phone or something and I hear a line that makes me stop, roll my eyes and look up at the TV, it's a bad line. But maybe it's a great line because it got me to pay attention. I don't know. This is a bad line. You think it's cheesy? It's cheesy. Very cheesy. We're three for three now on is it cheesy? I wonder, maybe I need to pick out a really dope line just so we can pad the stats a little bit. If the joke could, if the line could work as like a breaking the fourth wall, looking up at the audience to the TV screen and winking, yeah. then it's a bad line. Which again is why I'll say that the worst episode of Burn Notice was the finale because they kept doing that and it really pissed me off. And I love Burn Notice. I'm, Burn Notice is the best show of all time besides Westworld. What is it? I just... I'm what okay if you're a burn notice boy or girl stand up right now stand up well I don't care I don't care whether you're in the middle of class whether you're in your car or no if you're in your car don't stand up it's you, bad. Don't, you don't have to do that you don't have to just do stand up and and say I love you burn notice Michael Weston for life Fiona Glenn Ann you're a badass I want to apologize to all the listeners who are like me and have never seen burn notice and have no intention of ever watching it Dolores orders the train to be totally repaired and optimized for quick travel. She also orders Teddy to follow her in a very specific way that she thinks will give her better insight into his head, and that's to go about his loop, it appears. The Delos tech kind of recognizes Teddy going about and like doing the exact same walk that he does. This is how I interpreted this scene. Was that this, this, the shot we got of the Delos tech looking back over his shoulder kind of surprisingly-ish? So I spent a little bit trying to figure out what this, what that meant because obviously it's important. And I believe he noticed Teddy going about his loop, like literally walking off the train and going in the exact same direction. Okay, because I, I was really curious about what that was. I think everybody is. And so you don't have to take what I just said as what happened, but that makes so much more sense to me because we see Dolores going and trying to coax Teddy into saying things from his narrative. So it looks like she is trying to walk him through his loop. Which, which is why I think he looks back at Now, Teddy. why would she do that? Well, she's doing that to test his hostliness. So she just wants to see how, uh, what, free he is? Yeah, or, un to, or unfree? She wants to see how much he's still sticking to his loop. Okay. Despite all of this talk he kind of has about, like, finding a new him and, like, being in like, all the stuff he's seen. Like, she's doing as much as she can to get him to not be as hostly as he is. So her goal is to free him, not to get him to maintain his loop. Yes, and right now it's to test. It's, it's a final test. It's like, hey, I'm going to do some stuff, and if you don't pass my tests, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy you because that means you're not meant for the Valley Beyond. Oh, okay. That's how I interpreted it. Uh, that's a very clear explanation. Uh, Dolores gets Teddy to repeat his line about whiskey doing no good in a bottle inside the uh, Mariposa. So again and again here, we're seeing him resort back to loop lines, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. So he's failing the test. He is failing, yeah. If he'd left that whiskey in the bottle, which he said it did no good there, it would have done him some good because then Dolores might not have betrayed him. Ironic. Very poignant. Damn and it. He repeats that line. We then see Clementine, which I still love. That That's the name for her. We've never used that, have we? Uh, I think somebody called in with it. Clementstein. Yeah, Clementine Frankenstein. I get it. Frankenstein's monster. Very common misconception. I get it. Uh, 
We see Clementine saying new Clementine's lines with her, implying she still has them inside her despite her lobotomy and zombie status. Maybe the saddest scene we've ever had on the show. Ever. Ever? What about, Ma- what about when Maeve's daughter was shot in front of her? Somehow this was sadder for me. Don't care for children. Yeah, that's true. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Trick load of kids. <laughs> you just you did babysit recently. I did. Oh, and where did you talk about that? What? Where'd you talk about that experience? The Dadgum Podcast? Yeah. Yeah. It's on yeah. Grand X Labs. It is. If you want to hear Ross talk about his experience trying to babysit while also playing Fortnite. I reared the child. Mm, no. You didn't. You 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 didn't. You watched him. Okay. Yeah, Ross talks about it on the Dagum podcast, which you can listen to on Grand X Labs, wherever you get your podcast. Yeah, but this was a really sad scene. I mean, first of all, Clementine kind of has dead eyes already. She, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She's got like those like zombie vampire uh, eyes. And watching her mouth, the words coming out of much more lively looking Clement, new Clementine's mouth mm-hmm. were, oh man, it was heartbreaking. On the way out, you know, Dolores is like, let's get out of here. And Teddy still tips his cap to new Clementine Again. on the way out. He's After watching all this. He's still on the loop-de-loop. It's like, okay, Teddy, you just watched zombie Clementine repeating, like, the lines of new Clementine. And he still doesn't get it. So what, what my question here is, what makes one host like Dolores able to comprehend what's going on to break away from her loop, etc.? I mean, I know what it is with Dolores, but, like, why can't Teddy progress further? Why isn't he picking up on what's going on, breaking further away from his narrative loop and all that? That will be a reveal later in this season, I assume. For why he can't? Yeah. Do you believe it's just that Ford programmed certain hosts to be able to accomplish all this and others to not? It, this is such a focal point of the season that there has to be some big reveal for it. Okay. Don't know what it is, though. It's just interesting, because if I'm Ford, why wouldn't you just make all of the hosts capable of, you know, maybe, accomplishing, achieving total freedom away from their loop? Maybe it was Arnold, and Ford didn't have a part in it. Because mm. Arnold's the one who made a lot of the hosts. Okay. Um, Hey, Ross, do you want a super elementary way to look at this whole Dolores Teddy plan situation, the details surrounding which I'm going to totally oversimplify for the purpose I, of one I, really dumb joke? I do not. I appreciate it, though. Well, guess what? Uh, <laughs> you're going to do it anyway, aren't you? Yes, I am. This whole episode is like the movie My Fair Lady, with Dolores acting as Rex Harrison and Teddy as Audrey Hepburn. Dolores is trying to change Teddy from a lowly host into an aristocratic, sentient being by trying to get him to change and challenge his actions and speech. Sentient. Uh, it's. I'm calling it my fair Teddy. This whole. This whole plan. I don't know what how the inner workings of your mind work. Much like I don't know how the inner workings of uh, Teddy's mind work. My fair Teddy. And it's. It's just a lot for me to unpack on a day to day basis. Remember that I write these notes at, in between the hours of 11 p.m. and 4 a.m. If that matters. My fair Teddy. How did it come to this? I, I, I truly don't know, and I think that one, that was around 1.45 after I drank my first cup of coffee, before I drank my second one, and... What kind of a psychopath drinks coffee at 1.45 in the morning? Well, I also drank a cup of coffee at like 2.45, as, as I said, I had two cups of coffee. It's okay, though. It's okay. Well, it was actually a really smart I mean, It's really me. not okay, just for the record. Well, I, I didn't have the caffeine vape with me, so I don't... Oh, that's the problem. <laughs> Gotta keep that thing on you. Gotta keep it on me, that caffeine vape. Cut back to Shogun World. 
Out of politeness, Maeve's gang watches Sakura dance even though they're not enjoying it too much. Maeve complains about it, and Lee tells her that they need to play along to get the new quest like in Westworld, with the added caveat that if you're a dick here, you'll get killed real fast. This didn't make sense to me because Lee has already pointed out that everything has gone batshit crazy in Shogun World, just like in Westworld. So how is he to... why, Why would they need to, I guess respect the traditions of shogun and world and and try to i I just didn't really get that because may doesn't understand it and all these hosts still have that base program programming in them about honor and dishonor so they still have to play along with all that yes okay yeah they're still going to like they need to still act honorably because they're all programmed as their you know in their base code to if they're dishonored to act on it and be pissed. So to make a comparison, it's like all these guys in Shogun World that we see right here in the Mariposa there, they are they're like Teddy in that they're not totally broken away from their narratives or their loops or whatever and they're still going off of those core things. Yep. Okay. I don't think we've seen a conscious person in Shogun World. The closest we get is Akane when she's talking to Maeve, beginning to kind of understand a bigger truth. When they're eye fucking each other with the blinking and all that. Yeah. The tweaking out? Yeah, right, yeah. B- right before the uh, the red dance. Okay. Maeve says she'll play along, but then they need to find her daughter. Uh, we have two main storylines in this episode. There's Dolores seeking her father and Maeve seeking her daughter. What do you think about this parallel, Ross? Uh, it's interesting. That, I mean, it's pretty simple. You just explained it. What, what, is, what am I supposed to add to that? Uh, do you? I mean, we saw them be at odds in Reunion in episode two. They they were pretty they were pretty like not the same but now they're on the same quest. Well, different quest, same style, same type. They're both trying to find someone. Yeah. And save them. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. Whatever you're trying to get out of me here, I don't have it. Then I'll just put some more stuff in you. Great. Maeve calls out Lee for plagiarizing their stories and identities. Lee says it's not plagiarism; it's supply and demand. But if you're asking if you can trust Akane, the real question is, can you trust yourself? Oh. This is a very terrible deflection by Lee, seeing as supply and demand is the number one cause of plagiarism, aside from a college student finding out they have a paper due in two hours that they never knew existed. But this advice from Lee is actually phenomenal. He's a very smart boy. Lee is. He went from stable boy to smart boy this episode. Uh, uh-huh. Hector needs to take Lee's advice because we all trust Hector, but Hector doesn't trust Shogun World Hector. And as Smart Boy Lee points out, seeing your own doppelbot can kind of fuck with you, which is why Hector's got like heightened aggression, suspicion, and it's why Armistice and the girl with the dragon tattoo uh, are staring at each other really weirdly. <laughs> Feedback loops. So similarly to how like uh, Ford said that he never put Dolores and Teddy in the same place, or Dolores and Bernard in the same place because they have weird effect on each other. These people are having a weird effect on each other. Exactly. So like... Dolores seeing a guy who looks like Arnold would mess with her brain because she's like, is this Arnold? Uh Uh-huh. And Hector seeing a guy who acts exactly like him would mess with, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, like same frequency, same swag, same everything. Yeah. Kind of just like, what the fuck? I think he has the same scar too, doesn't he? I believe so. And also, if you didn't notice, Akane has the same uh, freckle that Maeve has under her right eye. Oh, wow. I did not. Mm Mm-hmm. The Shogun's emissary enters Akane's place of business and demands Sakura for the Shogun. Lee recognizes this narrative, which is called Army of Blood. Tight name. Sounds pleasant. 
I hope you recognize this narrative, Lee. You wrote it. I don't. <laughs> what? What? Yeah, he really wanted credit for that. He's like, oh, I recognize this one. I really hope so. He demands Akane sell Sakura to him despite uh, Akane's refusal. Smart boy Lee loses some credibility here because he goes, Madam Akane, a mere geisha, has no choice but to give up Sakura. It looks like she does have a choice for she stabs the emissary right through the brain via his right eye socket. She pulls out one of her hair things. Love no, this no, no, move. Not, not this time. Oh, sorry. That was the other time. What'd she stab him with? It was, it was a knife, but she didn't pull it out of her hair. She pulled it out of like her pocket. Damn it. Okay. I love hair weapons. Yeah, hair weapons are great. Yeah. They say Ross's hair is so good that it itself is a weapon. They do? Yeah. All right. It just slays all the ladies. Wow. Speaking of Ross's hair, you guys need to look at old photos of Ross when he had the biggest bowl cut, frat swoop, shag anybody's ever seen. It was unbelievable. I mean, you don't need to. No, you need to. Plenty of other things you could be doing. You should. Also... If you haven't already noticed, Ross's mugshot, he looks like Justin Bieber. That's great, Jared. What, what does that have to do with Westworld? I, nothing, but it has to do with you, and this is a show. This is not Westworld. This is a show about Westworld hosted by us. It's Ross World. Ross World. Then Lee says that's not supposed to happen. Yeah, I mean, so <laughs> Lee, Lee was under the impression that this whole narrative would just play out the way it's supposed to, even though he knows everything is off its rocker? Yeah. That doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, maybe he just maybe there wasn't anything yet to indicate that everything was wrong. Like potentially, uh, Musashi was supposed to kill all those, you know, guards, right? And then go into the town and do this safe heist. So everything was going as it was supposed to up until this point. I believe so. Okay, I believe so. Uh, Akane immediately hires Musashi to help them escape the shogun, who will soon start hunting them for killing his emissary and refusing to give up Sakura. Uh, we learned that Musashi is a ronin, which uh, on Google says that in feudal Japan, this is a wandering samurai who had no lord or master. Kind of like the Hound. I dig it. The Hound from Game of Thrones. Yeah, he, this, is, this is the Hound in, in uh, Shogun World. Smart Boy Lee shines once again here by suggesting that the faraway place they go to, uh, that you know they say they need to leave to a faraway place, and he goes, oh, I know a faraway place, Snow Lake which is Sakura's birthplace and the only place she's ever known peace. Cornerstone. Exactly. This is Sakura's cornerstone, and he knew that she'd bite because uh, he just knew she loved it. Because Cornerstone. Because Cornerstone, and this is also a great idea because there is an access point to the tunnels at Snow Lake. So that him and his squad can roll out. Exactly. Get the fuck out of there. Maeve says that they will join them as added protection. We see Maeve seeing a lot of herself in Akane's motherliness here towards uh, Sakura. It's very, very similar to Maeve and Clementine. Yeah, there was a lot of a lot of mother vibes in this episode that a mm -hmm. feeble man like me didn't really grasp, but I know that they were there. They say that motherliness is next to godliness. <laughs> a lot of things, apparently, right next to godliness. Lee put this next scene best uh, when he says, Shit ninjas. I fucking loved this. I kept waiting for ninjas to come out and, and have some part in this because I remember very specifically... In Shogun Total War, which, by the way, somebody should probably just send us copies of that game for free <laughs> because we're plugging it so fucking often. Uh, you could sick ninjas on like a neighboring Shogun. Really? Yeah. Is that like a? Is this like a online game? Yeah, it was online, but it was also offline. I'm talking about the offline version oh, okay. primarily here. But yeah, I mean, ninjas are really tight. Everybody knows that. Uh, everybody knows I'm a huge fan of ninjas. I love ninjas, and uh, I was excited to see ninjas. Come into play here. 
Maeve is meditating and seemingly remembering a memory of Akane's when she almost gets shmammed by a throwing knife. Yeah, so what, Maeve, this thing here, Maeve having these, this is the first little phase, I guess, of her new voice that she calls it later on, but she's figuring out how to get into the Maeve of Shogun World's head. That's what it seems like, huh? That is what it seems like, Jared. There's a throwing knife. Maeve evades it like she evaded the blade. Upset that it wasn't a throwing uh, throwing star. A shuriken. But I'll take what I can get, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, a shuriken would have been cool, but a throwing knife, that's Dude, fine. I, I said throwing star, not whatever you're saying. It's the same thing. That's, that's, that's the correct name for it. Throwing star. Hector kills uh, the would-be assailant, but then a ton of other ninjas come, and a big old fight starts up that reaches a climax when Maeve is getting choked out. Lee is getting choked to death by a spiky ball on a chain wrapped around a post. Hector fights the ninja version of the X-Men's Wolverine, and Musashi takes on like 73 dudes at once. So the thing to remember here, and also a question, if Lee dies, Lee's dead. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's a lot at stake there for Lee. Now, Maeve being choked out against this post, as a viewer, what level of concern do I need to be? What happens if she dies? Can she still be brought back to life? What is the situation here for our host friends? I was also worried about Hector. There seemed to be way more ninjas than there were people on our side. I would say if Maeve dies, she is dead until the proper authorities are capable of taking her back and reviving her. Okay. Now, is there a chance that like Ford went back and did something to where the host just couldn't be revived anymore? Yes. This is a big a big thing about this whole season. Like we, we don't, don't know yet. We don't know. Okay. We have seen though Craddock, for example. He's killed and brought back to life, right? Right. So we have all reason to assume that the hosts are still capable of being revived. There's no we have not seen anything that would not let us so far. That. We haven't seen anything yeah. that would lead us to believe otherwise. So yeah, that's what it just it's hard to know exactly how much weight to put on those fight scenes right now because yeah. I don't really know what the stakes are. For some people, for obviously Lee, if he dies, he dies. He's human, but or yeah. is he? Oh, whatever. Come on, <laughs> uh, Maeve, while being choked out, uh, choke me, Zaddy. What? No, no, no. Sorry, no, don't say that. So Maeve is trying to say these voice commands, but she can't get him out. This guy keeps like putting his hands over her mouth, and Maeve is somehow able to subvert voice commands like Ford and subconsciously get this ninja choking her out to kill himself. By smashing his head into a a spike, like Ford. Yeah, it's very it's very similar to Ford. Remember how Ford can control the hosts without a word, with like a motion, or sometimes even without a motion, uh, a motion, not emotion. The, Sweet uh, emotion. Yeah, Maeve is uh, man. She's this is this is a big step, huge. Yeah, new voice. Uh, this causes Lee's would-be assailant to call her a witch and run away from Lee and sprint away. Good move on his part, I have to say. Um, so I forgot to mention earlier that Maeve does, she's able to get out of voice command and get one of the ninjas to kill his friends. Yeah. And that's before the ninja who starts like putting his hand over her mouth gets to her. And then impales himself. So it's important to note that the ninjas now have seen Maeve use voice commands to get the ninjas to attack each other. And also impale themselves. Impale themselves using I don't. So we don't know here. This is this is important that because of the angle of stuff. Nobody knows 
on the Shagoon side that may have did this with her mind. You know? It could have been that she said something. It could have been she said something. It could have been any other reason. All they know is that Maeve at least once somehow you, made this happen. Yeah. At least once using her voice and then another time in some way. Right. Which is a great rationalization between behind why the Shogun does what he does later and destroy all the ears of his men. Psycho move. Some people could be saying, like, oh, well, if, you know, they saw her do it with her brain, then the ears wouldn't do anything. Oh, no, no, no. They're not aware. I mean, it, it very clearly, your first guess as a human being or a host, whatever, uh, programmed to act like a human being would be, oh, she must have said something to make them do that. Because mm-hmm. what else would it be? Nobody would just automatically assume mind control. Exactly. Hector and Musashi uh, are badasses, and they took care of their foes themselves. Musashi notices that these were the Shogun's men, and Akane reveals that Sakura is missing. Lee, who already knows everything is off of its like narrative that he wrote, mm-hmm. acts surprised by the ninjas having shown up. It's like, dude, you're supposed to be a smart boy, Lee. Stop acting like such a moo-moo, am I right? Uh, you are. And Sakura then, is the other prostitute. Geisha. Come on. Ge- sorry, Geisha. She's been taken. Yeah, she's been taken. She's the one who the uh, Chinese or the Shogun sent the emissary for earlier. Right. When they, when they killed him. Now they've taken her. And they've taken forcefully. Her. And then Lee again, he's like, when the Shogun's army starts marching in, he's like, the Shogun's army never comes into town. Dude, we get it. It's all messed up. Okay. Yeah, Lee, shut the fuck up. Like, the I love dumb you. Dumb boy, Lee. Lee. I love you, but stop. Please. Little, little repetitive. I beg of you. Beating a dead horse. We learned from Musashi that shit's about to go down, and he knows that because before he was a ronin, he was captain of the Shogun's guard. Now, is this him remembering a past narrative, or is this part of his backstory of his current narrative? I, this is the backstory of his current narrative. Okay. We're all led to believe. I don't think that in the Shogun world ever was there a Musashi as the captain of the, of the guard. I think they all just remember that, but it never actually happened. Cool. And this brings us to crackpot theory number one. Can you clap? Number one. Number one. Thank you. Thank you. If Musashi was captain of the Shagoon's guard, it only stands to reason that Hector held some sort of similar position within some group in Westworld, right? Interesting, Jared. Does every sign not point to that group being Ghost Nation? Oh. Maybe. Wow, dude. I respect, respect. I'm just saying. Respect. It's episode five, so maybe maybe soon I'm going to have to start being held accountable for these. We're halfway so through. So just, just to clarify here, when every episode of the podcast that we do, we restart back to where you're counting crackpot theories from number one? Uh, each episode gets its own list of crackpot theories. This, this makes is, it hard to keep track of because really we're on like 19 or something. We're, we're deeper into the crackpot theories, but this is number one for episode five. Cool. So yeah, and we see we know Hector is part uh, Native American. We know he speaks Lakota. Just saying, might be something there. I dig this. Maybe pull, that, pull, pl- that, pull that thread, Jerry. You like the thread? Pull it. I'm gonna keep pulling. It. Phantom what, thread. We'll see what unravels. Mm. I feel like I'm unraveling. Isn't that a season one callback? I hope so. Yeah, Maeve when she's talking to the fortune teller. Anyways, Maeve hatches a plan. Or I meant Dolores talking to the, for- the fortune teller. Things are getting a little off the rails here. Maeve hatches a plan which requires Musashi to buy some time. He goes out and faces Captain Tanaka, who now has his old job. Uh, 
Is this possibly foreshadowing a Hector slash The First of Us showdown at some point? Interesting. Does that count as crackpot theory number two, or is that kind of like a corollary to crackpot theory number I'd one? I'd call it a corollary. Okay. Hector says, I don't need to, to know the language to know a puckered asshole of a man when I see one. <laughs> I love that description. A puckered asshole. Yeah. Of a man. Great line. A fight starts up that Maeve stops with her mind, I guess. I really didn't understand this scene. I'm going to be honest. I think once the fight came to a stopping point, the Shogun ordered them to, to not murder these people. This was not Maeve controlling them. This was... They all had been beaten to a point where they were no longer a danger. And he was like, all right, stop. Don't murder everybody. You mean the captain? Whatever, yeah. Sorry, the captain. The Shogun's captain. The guy the guy in charge of all these troops was like, all right, that's enough. Just hold them and we'll take them with us. Okay, yeah, I guess Maeve didn't stop it with her mind because she can't do that at will yet. That would that make well, sense. And instead of just stopping it with her mind, wouldn't she have, like, I don't know, had them win instead of had them take captive? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I just... It, so you think that their plan was to get beaten? So are we led to believe right now, then, that Musashi and Hector and Armistice are all prisoners of the Shogun? Yeah. Because we don't see them the rest of the episode. Yeah, I think they all get taken here. Okay. Yeah. And then that's when Maeve and all of them run away to pretend that they're the Chinese uh, envoy. Right. Yeah. Okay. But Maeve basically had them serve as a distraction so she could get away, which is a little weird. But in the way it played out was a bit confusing. The Especially the the part you're referencing where it, if you re- had the subtitles on, which you should. It did. Uh, it said like, war sounds stop. Or something like that. Like the fighting just flat out immediately ceases to exist. But it's be- I what I took it. I had to rewind and watch it again because I was like, wait, what the fuck? Did Maeve just stop all that? Or what's going on here? I think it was the captain who was like, all right, enough. We've got him. Okay. Don't murder them. Hey, if you're looking for a new sports podcast from three guys who don't know a whole lot about hockey, man, have we got the show for you? But we know a good time. We do. Backdoor Cover is the name of the show. You can subscribe on iTunes. Uh, in our most recent episode, I wore a hockey mask while we recorded. Dan is from Philly, and he's part of the show. I am part of the show. <laughs> I do hold it down for the uh, Northeast and the 610. Yeah, I don't know if that's a selling point. We talk about gambling a lot. Uh, two of the three of us have gambling problems. Backdoor cover Very on iTunes. serious gambling problems. Yeah, it's please listen. Backdoor please? cover. Please. Subscribe to Backdoor Cover on iTunes. Manoutfitters.com for Memorial Day. They're doing a sale, 20% off, 40-plus brands. So you know that you can always use promo code FREEZE on manoutfitters.com to get 15% off. Is that right, Ross? That's correct, sir. You can always use that forever. Forever and ever. Well, not forever, but presumably. For the foreseeable future, because you're a listener of the podcast, right? That's why. But right now, do not use that code. This is the only time I'm ever going to tell you, don't use our promo code, because you'll get a better code by using Memorial20 on manoutfitters.com. Mm-hmm. So right now, you can get 20% off instead of 15. That's actually better. That's more. That's more money off. It's 5% more. There's also free shipping on all orders over $99. Yeah. So what you can do is you can go buy $200 worth of stuff. I'm not good at math. Then, then it'll only cost you 100 and... Luke, can you help me out here? How much is that? No? no? Ross, can you help me out here? No, I can't do my $160. Oh, I'm right. Am I right? Okay, $160. You've got $200 of stuff. 
It's only $160 and free shipping. Yeah. Brands that are included in this. Patagonia, which you love. I'm, I already, I don't even know you, and I know that you love Patagonia because everybody loves Patagonia. You can get 20% off Patagonia right now if you use code MEMORIAL20 on mainoffers.com. Again, that's 5% more than 15% off. Yeah. So what I would do is pause the podcast right now, download the Man Outfitters app, or go to manoutfitters.com, and just go buy shit for fun because you're going to look hot. Money isn't real. You might as well spend it because you can't take it with you. Money is when a you die. It's a concept. It's a concept. It's, it's all. It's fake. Money mm. is only as valuable as you want to make it. Spend money, acquire clothing. Manalvidage.com. Memorial twenty. Memorial twenty. Back to the show. Okay. Back to Westworld. Dolores brought Teddy back to her ranch because she wanted to see it one last time. She looks wildly unimpressed with Teddy's hostliness. Um, Man in Black never gets bored of talking to hosts, but Dolores is getting real sick of Teddy's bullshit. She's getting fed up with him. Thank God somebody is. Dolores tells the story about when her cows had blue tongue because remember that was when they ate all those popsicles. Yes, uh, they ate the popsicles. Yes, fucking fun yes, dip. Blue tongue. I think it was Tootsie Pops. Um, what else? Cabbage Patch Kids. You lost me. I don't know what you're doing here. Trolley Bright Crawlers. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, the, the cows had blue tongues because they ate all this candy. And Dolores tells that story. There it is. There's the joke. And says that her dad handled it the right way with sternness, which is also next to godliness. But she would get back to Teddy about her thoughts on his kind-hearted plan that he had, which was to, he was like, I'll put, I'd put the sick ones in the barn, get them back to good health, quarantine them, and that's what I'd do. And Dolores is like, no, you burn them alive. Yeah. You burn them. <laughs> burn them all. Mad King. Which we know this whole blue tongue scenario. <laughs> that was a good Game of Thrones reference. <laughs> I, I hate myself so much. Ross said that joke and he just was smiling in front of his mic. <laughs> uh, I suck. Dolores is kind of like the Mad King. She started off as Khaleesi and now she's kind of the Mad King. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So in this whole plan of Dolores, you know, this whole idea of just burn, even though you love the cows, you got to burn them to save the herd. Isn't that... Isn't Teddy the cows in this analogy? Teddy is one of the ca sick cows. She's going to burn Teddy to save the herd. But she says first she's got to think about what he said. Because she's deciding if he's a moron or not. Yeah. And he is. Okay, what is what is this from? What am I referencing here? It's like the something, something, the something dies, but the... Is it, oh, it's a, it's a this Stark This is also saying. Game of Thrones. God what is damn it? No, it. Say it. Say it. What is it? The... the Lone wolf dies, but the pack survives. Yeah, yeah, which doesn't really fit as well now that I hear you say it. No, <laughs> it doesn't really make as much sense. Well, thought, no, it does. I mean, he's the lone wolf. He dies, and the pack survives. It doesn't. It you know, he's not really a lone wolf, so it doesn't really make sense. But it is what it is. Yeah, it oysters, clams, and sense. cockles. I just really thought it was going to oysters, clams, and cockles. I oysters, clams, and cockles. Oysters, clams, cockles. Yeah, uh, I love this whole scenario. Imagine giving someone an idea of yours that was so bad, they had to get back to you at a later time about it, and, <laughs> and at that later time, they just totally betray you because your idea was such shit. Yeah, this isn't what you want. Uh, the, the, Teddy, not a great episode for Teddy. Well, a big episode for his character, but, a, yeah. but he, uh, his performance is trash. That's like me, after this recording, saying to Ross, hey, Ross, I have a really good idea. We're going to get a real live Gorfi the Porcupine for The Office. And Ross goes... 
Let me get back to you on that. And then next week we come in and record the show and Jared's gone. Yeah, Ross is like, hey guys, we didn't let Jared go. Yeah, Jared <laughs> was fired because he wanted to bring in Gorfi the porcupine. Uh, yeah, Teddy's very, very bad at his... at. If no one has ever been less deserving of the Valley Beyond than Teddy. No, he's terrible. Yeah. He, he's he's a total mental midget. He is. Are you small, gonna say, is Luke going to say something? Small-minded. Did y'all start to get the feeling that he was going to be offed, like, right there? Like, it yeah. was an open field. I feel like the music got, like, a little bit different. And then I was just like, is he about to get shot right now? Once once the it became clearer and clearer that he was, like, failing all these... He was not impressing Dolores... I got more and more concerned for his help as the show went on. And then, yeah, there was like weird moments where it was like, is something terrible about to happen to Teddy right now? Because the, of the, the tenseness in the music and the tone of the overall show was just, I was on Teddy watch for the last 40 minutes or so. But then he got laid. But then he got laid, which was not expected to me. I mean, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what to make of this. Please explain. Get into it. Well, let's get let's get there in time. Sure. Back to Shagoon World. Lee wants to ditch Akane and make a run for Snow Lake themselves. Maeve is not having it, seeing as she wants to follow through on this urge to help out Sakura and Akane. She gets mad at Lee for giving her the capacity to love and getting mad at her for acting on it, and also for slipping in that she doesn't care about her daughter if she stays. Yeah, Lee just can't keep his fucking mouth shut. No. So again, he's like, he gets frustrated because she cares about Akane. And then she gets frustrated with him for being frustrated with her. He can't stop himself, drop something about her daughter. And what's her threat here? Uh, she's going to snap him like a matchstick. Like a twig, I believe. Or, something. Match, or a matchstick. A matchstick. Yeah. Stick. Yeah. Which I got to be honest with you. I want to see Maeve pick Lee up and snap him in half. If it means that we can somehow bring him back. I, I need Lee. But I really want to see Maeve snap somebody in half like a matchstick. We see a head snapped in half later. It's not the same. Not the same. Need a whole human spine cracking. Like you know, like a, so we can look at a cross section of like a of a of a body. And I need Mave Mortal Kombat. Like what's the what's the monster in Mortal Kombat with four arms? Kevin. You know how, Kevin. You know, Kevin. That was his name. So he. You know how Kevin. <laughs> no, his name's not Kevin. He snaps people in half. I need that. And then she's holding two halves with her two hands. Oh, you're thinking of uh, Machamp from Pokemon. No, no, I'm not. But thank you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so she just gets pissed at Lee, and he's like, she's like, yeah, you can go out alone if you want. And he's like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. Lee asks Maeve how she was able to get that ninja to self-impale, and she says, I think I'm finding a new voice, which is, we know to be a new, new voice, because she already had a new voice, because it's another new voice. Right? New, new squared. Felix interrupts by saying that their transportation is ready, and their transportation is a small carriage pulled by Felix and Sylvester. It is. And Felix uh, and Sylvester are now dressed in traditional Asian garb. Mm -hmm. um, they are pretending to be the Chinese delegation. Which is interesting because Sylvester is a white ginger. Yeah. And Lee is a white British man. Uncircumcised. Uncircumcised, yes. Just felt like I had to add that in there. I... I okay. Their, uh, their little envoy rolls right on by a ton of Delo soldiers... Who got fucked up way worse than they did in Westworld. <laughs> what the hell happened to these guys? Why are their heads in cages? 
Do you think that the Della soldiers who got sent to Shogun World were like, oh God, no, send me to fucking Ross World, please. I don't want to go to fucking Anywhere Shogun World. but here, Ross World, please, the softest world there is. Why can't we be in Ross World? Yeah. I said Raj World, not Ross World. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I forgot why, about Ross World. Why did, they get, <laughs> why did they get rocked so badly? Don't they have automatic weapons? What the fuck happened here? Well, they got stapled to trees. I'll tie to trees, but... Uh, it reminded me of the scene from The Wicker Man where Nicholas Cage... Damn it, Cage... I was going to fucking make that joke, you son of a bitch. Oh, were you really? Yes. Wow, yeah. The no. bees, not the bees. Because that's what I thought that was happening there. Is that not what happened? I I really wanted to make... I was like... Okay. Oh, I'm so sorry. This is... Let's go back to around 3.05 a.m. last night when I, when I made this joke to myself and I started laughing and I started watching the, the video on YouTube of yeah. The Wicker Man with Nicholas Cage. It's the funniest video ever. Yeah, I, I, it's one of those things like you had the complete right to say that joke and I just completely derailed your telling of it because I was so pissed because I wanted to tell it. I'm sorry. I, I'm not sorry, but I am sorry that you that you were prepared to make a comment on that. Because that's what it looked like. Yeah, it's no, wooden totally. things around their heads. You're not in the, I'm, in, I'm the one in the wrong now because I totally derailed something that you were not wrong for doing. Apologize. But I, which I was looking forward to that all day. Like legitimately. I, I got to tell all you. Caps. I really didn't care all that much about the joke, but now that it has ruined your day, it is my favorite joke I've ever made. Here, I'll just read what I have. All the soldiers are strapped up to trees and have these wooden boxes over their heads that reminded me of something, and it was all I could think about, which is true. The bees! Not the bees! Yeah. Ah, my eyes! Ah! The worst scene in the history of <laughs> acting ever. Go to YouTube and look up Nicolas Cage, Wicker Man, Bees. And actually, there's just a whole like four-minute compilation of all the worst scenes from wicker man and it is truly incredible and then if you ever get the opportunity just watch wicker man uh it, it's on tv every once in a while on like hbo or whatever and it's it's just all around awful but to the point that it's extremely entertaining <laughs> and you can see just it's like the pin you can pinpoint where nicholas cage's career just went like well just just fell off a cliff <laughs> this this was it but national treasure brought it back it did i mean you know he still should have paid his taxes, but I'm a big Nick Cage guy. You know what? I'm just going to say Ghost Rider. <laughs> Put the bunny in the box. Um, Torino, we need a Wicker Man, Shogun World, Delos Soldier mashup. Yep. That's got to happen. That has to. That has to happen. Lee, uh, yeah, Maeve tells Akane that she is in this fight for Sakura with her. And then Lee goes to take a piss and secretly takes a dead Delos Soldier's phone with him afterwards. That will surely come into play later because we don't see it anymore. In this episode. You would assume so, right? I thought he was going to make a call right there. Mm. I was like, what is this moron doing? Stash the phone. And then he did. So he's back to smart boy Lee for me. What if he ordered a pizza? That would be really stupid. He'd be dumb boy Lee again. Uh, we learn about Maeve's plan. Here's what it is. Maeve's plan is to go meet with the Shagoon, posing as the delegation from the Chinese Empire that Musashi killed. Just, you know, totally taking over their place. To freeze all the Shagoon Camp's motor functions, steal Sakura, and leave. Now, my favorite part of this plan is that Lee Sizemore is supposed to be the envoy from the Chinese Empire with Mavis' his wife and Akane as their translator. Why isn't Felix the Chinese? He's literally Chinese. Why isn't Felix the Chinese emissary? Maeve is black. Lee is white and British. Sylvester is white. Felix is a Hong Kong native. I, where is Sylvester here? Is they're, he with they're out back out from outside the gates with the carriage. Okay. Isn't that it's insane? Just, just racially a very confusing situation. Yeah, but the thing is, I don't believe that uh, in the park the the hosts can see they race. They don't see color. Yeah. Much like me. 
Exactly. Um, this doesn't go to plan. Maeve's plan doesn't go to plan. The Shagoon is bonkers due to a cortical fluid leak. It's back. Maeve's plan. Maeve's plan. That was my attempt at God's plan. No, Sorry. it was good. Uh, the Shagoon heard Maeve was a witch who could influence you with her mystic commands. So he burned all his soldiers' ears off. Dick move. But a very good plan, all things considered. So he's derailed, right? Like yes. he's sick in the head. He so literally starts tweaking out in front of them. I'd make it the that's true, he does. Cortical fluid leaking from his ear. I would argue that Wait, he, he is, he's he's leaking. He's soaking wet. Um I would argue that he's much like what's the name of the guy who loses his cool? He's not Rebus, but he's Rebus's boy with the milk. Walter. When Walter loses his cool, that's what this guy reminds me of. He's like he has all the features and characteristics he's supposed to have, but they're jarbled and he's a fucking psychopath. Who burns all their men's ear off, ears <laughs> off? That's terrible. That's a poor, that's just, how about earplugs? Let's try that. For <laughs> anything but this very permanent uh, solution to a short term issue with an alleged witch <laughs> psycho. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's, he's totally off the rails, which comes into play later too. So he's, you know, he, Crazy dude, but whatever. He's cut all his dude's ears He's off. He's horny, though. He needs to see some dancing. He needs to be danced. Daddy too. horny, Michael. He recognizes Akane and knows that she killed his emissary. So she was, I guess, there just acting like a regular translator. All he did was pull up her veil to see it was Akane. Like, wait, how do they not do a better job of, like, hiding her? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I don't know. That was bizarre. He tells Akane that if she dances with Sakura tonight, she can have her back. We see that the Shagoon has Sakura. She looks pretty disheveled. Um, this is very strange, though. It's it's. If I'm him, I just keep them both, and make them dance all of the time. Like, what is the? I don't get. He was like, "I'll make you a deal. I have all the power right now, and absolutely no reason to negotiate with you. But if you dance with her tonight, I'll let you both go free." You have. You're trying to rationalize the insanity. Insan yeah, okay. the man who's very insane. Okay, sorry. Back to Sweetwater. Dolores says the train will be ready by morning, and we learn from some random Delos person that Angela captured that Abernathy was taken to the Mesa Hub, so that's where they'll be going. So he is that correct? We don't. Do we not <laughs> no, know? No, I just lied to everybody. No, I'm saying is it correct that he is in fact in the Mesa Hub? That's what the, the tortured text said. In this whole train situation, is the, was the train unable to run? Or are they just making it more lightweight, suited to their needs, etc.? It was they able have, to run. Much, they have a fucking train engineer? They're going to have it fixed yeah. by tomorrow? Yes. All right. Well, here's, here's the thing you got to think about, right? Let's, let's think about the timeline here, which is the last thing you probably wanted to hear. I, it is, in fact. The timelines are the one thing I, I have, like, my grasp is slipping further and further week by week. Well, if present day, that whole timeline, present day, strand... Charlotte Hale asking where Bernard, okay. or asking Bernard where Abernathy is. Yes, they're in the Mesa Hub then. True, and Abernathy's not there. That's true. And in the past, we're told by this tech that Abernathy is there. So it would seem that the potential slaughter at the Mesa Hub could be Dolores and her squad rolling up there, slaughtering everyone, taking Abernathy. Then our boy Carl Strand and his squad roll up to the Mesa Hub. Everybody's dead already, and Abernathy's gone. If this is a different control room than the one we've already seen. Yeah. Okay. Then yes, that's possible. It just can't be the same one we've already seen because we know Maeve was there a long time ago. Right. Okay. Yeah. This, this whole idea that Abernathy is at the Maze of Hub, like this tech could be lying, you know? We don't know. 
Um, maybe, maybe, maybe we're going to see next episode that Abernathy is still kind of chilling out that they, maybe they didn't take him back there. Maybe Charlotte took him to, to, to a lab. Maybe she took him to like the secret remote facility to send out his information. Who knows? Also, here's what <laughs> I found this hilarious. Angela rode all around, found this tech who was part of the crew that captured Abernathy, tortured him to get this information out of him, and then carried him, presumably miles, potentially dragging him behind a horse just for him to say what he had already told her they're at the Mesa. Like, what? That was not necessary. Why did she need to bring him all the way there? That poor bastard. I felt bad for him. Me too. So Dolores uh, says, we're going home, Teddy, which is kind of one last fuck you to Teddy. Like, this is our real home, you idiot. Yeah. Poor Teddy. Stupid, silly, simple Teddy. The train will be leaving at first light, but Dolores wants to find a spot for the night with Teddy. They hit up a hotel. Uh, Dolores asks Teddy if he'd want her to say yes to finding a spot somewhere with him, even if it meant she would just disappoint him. Teddy has some really lame, vague response and says he's not some stranger. He's known her his whole life and that where they go, they go eyes open together. Like it's just all classic it's just Teddy his book, lame ass. Yeah. They also go mouths open together. They do. They make out and then they make robot sex, which yeah. is a concept we need to broach here. Yeah. They, they, they French it up and then they, they, they do the dirty. He enters her with his penis, the robot, penis. his robot penis and uh, we see his his cake we do we see his two cakes and it just it's what what is this do robots bone for pleasure like dolphins and humans or or is this just just like a what is this what is this they this don't is, reproduce this way no i believe this is the first time that they've ever actually had sex despite their relationship we're led to believe that they have now we knew robots could have sex because there's people boning them all the time mm-hmm. but this is just strange now robot on robot Love making. Uh, yeah, I we have we seen this before with Maven Hector. Yes, D- we never knew for sure they were boning. Oh, right. What? Yes, I they mean, totally boned. Like Are you they, kidding me? They yeah, boned. okay, they were boning. So yeah, they, they they're programmed to like sex. Obviously, their sensor their uh, their senses are capable of they light up sex. I've derailed. Yeah. What? Okay. Either way. Yeah. So I don't know. They just like sex like humans do, but they're not. They are not typically programmed to have it with each other. Some humans, not all the humans. Yeah, it's true. Not every human likes it. Back to Shagoon World, where shit gets wild. We meet back up with Sakura, who has had a cherry blossom tree carved into her back. Shame, shame this had to happen. Because the Shagoon wanted to make her more beautiful. Akane tells Sakura not to worry and that things will get better. And then she goes along with Maeve's, this is a new world. And in this world, you can be whatever you or whoever you want speech. And Maeve finishes her sandwiches. Uh, yep. I have a question. Does Sakura mean cherry blossom? That... In Japanese. I believe it does. Are you serious? I could also be dead ass wrong, which would be really a shame. Because uh, I just made it, the... Wow. You are right, my friend. Look at the big brain on Bill. Damn. On Bill. Big, big Bill. Big Bill brain. Big brain on Bill. Yep, that You're makes welcome. sense then. You're welcome. Thank you. I appreciate that. I didn't I didn't do that my I research. saw it on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Akane tells Sakura not to worry, and then Maeve tells Akane that her daughter would love to meet her after she finishes her sandwich for her. Which is kind of rude because Maeve doesn't even know her own daughter. 
What if, what if I was like, hey, man, Ross, you really need to meet my brother. And my yeah, brother's what, like, fuck that Ross guy. I don't want to meet that motherfucker. What made her think that, though? Like, what, what about her daughter is she assuming here that would make her want to meet? Like, I didn't really grasp. I, I, I mean, I, I have no idea where that came from. This Why could she just be Maeve that? being self-centered. Hey, you're, you're exactly like me. I'm sure my daughter's going to love you because <laughs> my daughter's going to love me. That makes sense. Okay. Or as Dan Register would say, love Meeve. You just perfectly, you explained it perfectly. That was what I needed. Maeve says that she can take Akane and Sakura to a new world. Sakura starts to hear a bunch of bicameral mind-esque whispers while talking to Maeve, which leads to crackpot theory number two or three, depending on how you look at it with the whole corollary thing. And I think this one is 100% true, okay? This is a theory that I'm all the way behind. Mm-hmm. Not, it's not to say I'm not behind all my theories, but I'm really behind this one. Mm-hmm. These whispers are the hosts, Maeve and Akane in this episode, Accessing the mesh network that allows the hosts to subconsciously talk to each other. Booyah! Hive mind. It's supposed to be subconscious, but as their minds develop, they are learning to access it, which will allow for a complete unspoken host interconnectivity, which is wild. Yeah, that, I mean, that's kind of where I was going with it in my head. Like, this is the only thing that really makes sense is that this is her manipulating the mesh network to basically be able to subliminally, subliminally communicate with other hosts. And, uh,. So I'm glad you brought that up because that's all I had. That's what I was clinging to. Akane seemingly says no to Maeve's offer of freedom, uh, possibly because it might mean giving up Sakura. So was this was this Maeve inside her head attempting to free her and to take her off her loop to give her the ability to be like Maeve and her rejecting it, recognizing that and rejecting it? It kind of seemed like it. I didn't really think about the it being in her being Maeve being in her head more so than kind of Maeve letting her realize how to access that. But it's that, very possible. Yeah. yeah, I can see Maeve being like in her head with the it, mesh it, network. It seems that the way that would work would be a passing of information, right? Yeah, Maeve yeah, has yeah. something that she needs to pass to this woman in order for her to become as free as Maeve is, and that woman said no, thank you. I declined th- the file transfer. Yeah. <laughs> the decline the airdrop. I mm-hmm. like I like that. I'm a big fan of that theory. Now does Maeve think Well Maeve says you're right. Some things are too precious to lose, even to be free. That's a really interesting line. Does Maeve think that this journey for her daughter is holding her back from freedom? I think she recognizes that. I mean, she was on the train to leave. Mm-hmm. And then she, you know, she rejected freedom in the same way, in a different way, a different kind of freedom. But similarly, it makes sense. Yeah. Well, it kind of is the same freedom, really. Like, she was Akane was going to have the capability to then go leave the park if she sure. had given her that freedom. Right. And Maeve just already had it and went back for her daughter. So it seems like the hosts are actively trying to stay hosts now. Right? What? On some level, yes. That's crazy. One of the questions that Taylor asked me during this episode, my wife Taylor asked me during this episode was, uh, why the fuck doesn't Dolores just leave? Like, what's she doing all this shit for? And I didn't really have an answer for that. I was like, I don't know. Well, she wants to go and get into the new world with a, with a with an army and like a means to take it over right away, not just go out there and like check it out. Okay, I think she's trying to make a grand entrance. She doesn't realize that that's that she would need a ridiculously large army to accomplish that. Like the whole world. I don't think she does. Oh. I think intern Luke's trying to say something. What? He touched his thing. Oh, I was just gonna go like going back on like the Mave thing. I think it was like kind of like. The way I saw it was like kind of ignorance is bliss, yeah. kind of. And so 
when Maeve says there that like some things are too precious to lose, I think I saw it more as that was her saying if free Maeve had the choice, she would probably be happy going back to like her daughter and actually staying with her daughter. That's how I interpret it. Interesting. Yeah. So you think that Maeve is, do you think that Maeve, like this is free Maeve saying she could go back or is this not free Maeve? acknowledging that she's staying not free Maeve. I think this is free Maeve saying that like, if she had the choice to like, just be live peacefully with her daughter in this like controlled kind of story, she would prefer to do that seen as like the steps she's kind of had to mm-hmm. take in to achieve this freedom. So interesting. Yeah. There's seems, definitely two ways of looking at it. Seems a little early on in the game for Maeve to be second guessing her whole decision making process thus far. Right? Yeah. I, I that's know. a very, if you want to talk to us about what you think, which which uh, one of these kind of ideas of Maeve's talking that you agree with, call into our cold line, 888-6-FREEZE. Have a good call, and we'll put it on uh, the Thursday episode that we do called Analysis Mode, where we take your listener voicemails. How about that? Um, yeah. Now, does Maeve think this journey is holding her back? I wouldn't say Dolores' journey is holding her back, because to me, this kind of emphasizes how human the emotion of love is in the host. Like, Dolores... If we're to believe she is free, she is free and still trying to save her dad, even though she knows that he is not really attached. Does the Maeve thing, is that parallel to that completely? Is Maeve free and doing the same shit? Or is Maeve not free? This all again ties into what the whole two definitions. Making my head hurt. Yeah. This this just Do you get what I'm saying, Luke? Yeah, Luke knows. So yeah. You need to decide whether whether Maeve is on the same path as Dolores. Or if Maeve is still not free, but but on a very similar path. Couldn't Dolores be the same? I mean, that's what makes this impossible. We don't know what, if any of this, or how much of it is programmed into these two people, Dolores and Maeve. There is nothing to me to indicate that Dolores is any more free than Maeve or vice versa. Because this could all just be part of the fucking narrative. It's impossible for you and I... To know right now. Wow, and I'm dude. hoping that at some point we do get to know because there's nothing that it, to indicate that we will. You know what I'm saying? They don't have to give us that. That's part of the intrigue of the show is to not know that. What so if I we don't say know. ask nicely though? I We can certainly try. I'm hoping that by the end of this season we get a lot more clarity on why these two, in particular, Maeve and uh, Dolores, why they're doing what they're doing, how, how much of it is free will, how much of it is very much still part of a narrative or part of Ford or Arnold's plan or whatever. Back to Sweetwater post-Quaitis. Dolores needs to show Teddy something. For days, Dolores says she's been questioning her feelings for Teddy, and she now believes them to be real. Aww. Real fake. <laughs> no, real. Oh. But she says to him, you're a mental midget, and we're done. What a breakup. Hey, I, I love you, but you're a fucking idiot. I so. realized... That my feelings for you are real, and I'm in, I I do care quite a bit for you. I love you, um, but unfortunately, you are not smart enough. <laughs> Therefore, I will have to uh, use you. Yeah, Dolores says she's seen over the past few days that Teddy's not going to make it into the Valley Beyond. I assume, so she's sacrificing him like a burning cow, in some way for the good of the hosts who aren't total narcs like Teddy. He has blue tongue. Teddy's got blue tongue. He's been just. Housing fun dips. Every time he's off camera, he's just eating fun dip. Uh, not even using the sugar stick. He's just he's just pouring the powder directly onto his tongue like a savage. Blah. 
Dolores, <laughs> Dolores has a tech overwrite Teddy's base level heuristics. The tech's concerns are that you sure you want this with changes this extreme without a full reset. It's I can't guarantee he'll hold together. We don't know what they're doing with him. Much like, okay, yeah, so we have no idea. I was trying to pause and like figure out exactly what they were changing. But much like how Abernathy can't hold it together with all the shit they had put into him, right? On mm-hmm. the info, so he's tweaking out. Is that the concern here, that whatever it is they're doing to Teddy, he won't be able to grasp it, basically? Yeah, it's that Teddy is clearly not developing and that he's not going to be able to... He's going to be too nice to the humans and shit. He won't be a good member of the Dolores army that wants to take over the world. So what what do you think they're changing here? Their base level heuristics is what I think they're changing. That's what it says on the screen. What the fuck does that mean? Heuristics, according to Google, uh, a heuristic processor method. Does that help? Yeah, thanks. This, Never mind. No, this, question answer. <laughs> a heuristic technique, often called simply a heuristic, <laughs> is not going anywhere, is any approach to problem solving, learning, or discovery that employs a practical method not guaranteed to be optimal or perfect, but sufficient for the immediate goal. Come on, man. Come on. Of course, that's the definition of the word. Come on. They're changing his problem solving abilities to be more better for that i don't know so is she trying to get him to a place where he can be smart enough like what no is she's she doing she, yeah she's sacrificing him somehow we know that teddy is a he's not going to make it so she's sacrificing him so that they can make it we don't know how yet let's not even try to we've already out. seen dead ted by the way yeah in the two weeks from now present timeline with bernard looking at his naked dead ted corpse so we know he gets got Somehow, at some point. Yeah. Or there's more than one Teddy. And then we go back to Shagoon World. And this is where shit gets wild. I misspoke last time. It's now. It just pretty much gets wild constantly at this show, in this, in this, where we're at now. It does. Akane and Sakaar are on stage, and the Shagoon immediately just walks up, says there's one detail missing, and just stabs Sakura. What the fuck did that mean? This man is insane. What did that mean? He didn't believe her to be real or something? <laughs> No, the detail missing was her being dead on stage with with. Uh, so he Akane. wanted her to be okay, I because I was like, wait, did he not think that was really her? What does he mean by he one just, detail he, missing? I think he's just so irrational. Okay, so he he's just, just a that. crazy person. Yeah, uh, and then makes Akane keep dancing. He is savage for this. Cool can, ass dancing, by yeah. the way. I love this dancing. And Big here, fan of the dancing. Here's the deal. The song they dance to is a Japanese instrument cover of Cream. By the Wu-Tang Clan. This is so next level and such a ridiculous coincidence based on, Jared, I'm going to let you explain it. I just, this is incredible. I did not notice this. Jared texted me like frantically losing his mind. I had two people tweeted me because I didn't notice it either. Two people tweeted me and going like, what's, and one person texted me. They're like, dude, what are you, what's, what are you doing here? Like, what did you know? What did you know? A lot of people are saying we had insider info. Now, why are people saying that? I don't know. I wish we did. No, but what what is what happened here? So here's the deal. The song that they played, like I said, the Japanese instrumental cover of Cream by Wu-Tang Clan. We have been making jokes about this song for much of this season. We have. The joke being that data, not cash, rules everything around us. So we'd say dream. We've been hyping up the dream t-shirt for a while now, which again, I have a great design for it. I'm going to drop it soon, guys. It's happening. I even, I even put a poll on Twitter saying if the design was dope, would you buy it? And a lot of people said yes. I'm going to hold you to that. So yeah, we've been bringing up data rules, everything around me. Like that's been a, a nice inside joke, running joke we've had. And they, what are the odds that 
that song that we are referencing is brought up on the show as one of the instrumental covers. That is insane. I'm trying to make like another, if because you make so many obscure jokes like just out of fucking nowhere that make no sense. Are you saying Gorfy the Porcupine? Is- yeah, like it. That that's pretty much what the next step would have to be is like for Gorfy the Porcupine <laughs> to come into play in, in Westworld. Then we then we know for sure that you're an insider. Yeah, I. If I was an insider, trust me, I would be getting screeners and not staying up until 4 a.m. watching this show and taking notes. That's on a it. good point. We would love some screeners. If you're listening, screeners, please. It was very obvious that Akane was going to kill this Shagoon the whole time. Uh, what wasn't obvious is the manner in which she was going to do it. Uh, she literally carved this man's head in half. She chopped from his mouth all the way around like an equator. And popped his head open like a can opener. It was the most insane thing. It was hanging off sideways. It was one of the most gory scenes I've ever seen in any show. And I loved it. I'm oh sick. my God. I still can't get over it. It was, giving me the shivers. It was, it was cool as hell. Uh, go back and check out Sylvester's face when this all happens. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, my dad actually texted me. He's like, keep an eye on uh, Sylvester's facial expressions during the last 15 minutes. Yeah. So he couldn't to- look away. Shouts to Ptolemy Slocum. That's the actor. Okay. Grand Theft Auto fame. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, like yeah. many. Yeah. Maeve and Akane are immediately condemned to death, like very quickly. But Maeve channels her new voice in the Crackpot Theory Mesh Network voice and commands all of the former Shagoon's men to kill each other and themselves. Someone on Twitter pointed out the awesome slow-mo shots in this episode, and there's some right here, which are pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. And I just said awesome twice, but you get the point. We definitely need more slow-mo. I love the slow-mo. Awesome is just a fantastic adjective. Mm-hmm. It's full of awe. They say the awesomeness is next to godliness. God damn it. We end this episode uh, with Maeve doubling down and saying it's time to use her new voice. And then we get the credits. And I'm going to read all the credits name by name. Uh, Lisa Joy, Jonathan Nolan. Okay, it's all Okay, you're it's not going to do that. Uh, so I have a question. Why would she have all of them kill each other Instead of being just arming them to, I mean, forcing them to be her, like, essentially a slave army. Maybe she's going to do what Maeve did with Craddock and his men and kill them and then bring them back. Oh, you mean Dolores, what Dolores did. Uh, I'm going to just say, don't check the tape, I'm, but I said that. Don't check the tape. I'm so psyched that, that you're wrong. <laughs> no, I don't. You can't check the tape. I'm not, I'm not checking the tape. I don't need to. I was literally, I'm three feet away from you. Hey, please tweet at me and Ross saying Jared's right, because neither of us is going to check the tape. And if you're on my side... Then okay, so you believe that you just said Dolores. Dolores. Yeah, I did. You don't think you said Maeve. No, I said Dolores. Okay, I'm excited. The tape will not lie. Yeah, but tape hopefully, lie. hopefully our listeners will. Okay, here's the deal. Tweet at us, DM us, leave comments. We will respond to you. I'm at Jared Borislow on Earthang. He is at WR Bolin on Earthang. Earthang. At Freezal Motor on Twitter, at Freezal Motor Functions on Instagram. We have the best Westworld content on the internet. I'm not kidding. Go spend like... 20 minutes and scroll through our feed and look at our amazing photoshops done by our awesome intern Serena who crushes the game. Where are we going from here, Jared? What is this? This this episode was such a fucking just like a out of left field where suddenly we're in Shogun World. I actually pulled it up on HBO Go and the description for the episode was Welcome to Shogun World and I was like, motherfucker. Like, <laughs> what? How do we have time to do this? Like it just all now we're I, I thought that this season would end with like the scenes with Maeve in Shogun World wearing her 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 uh, geisha outfit or whatever. Nah, man, we're at episode five. Maeve just took over Shogun World. Shogun World, sorry. Well, we don't know that. 
she got one shogun down. There's many shoguns. All the shoguns battle each other. Oh, is that going to happen? Yikes. I don't know if that's going to happen. I'm just saying Are that's how it was. Are you saying that's what happens in Shogun Total War? Back in, yes. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying, and that's the only basis for any of the knowledge I give on this on this podcast, just for the record. Okay, here's the deal for the NPR style sign-off today. I'm going to try and read everything before Ashley Stubbs says freestyle motor functions in our intro music. Go. I'll go at my go. Own, I'm going at my own pace. Oh, sorry. Okay, ready? I need to take a big breath. <gasps> are you, are you, get ready to start the intro music, Luke, okay? <gasps> Frizzle Motor Functions is brought to you by Games Media and hosted by me, Jared Borsal, along with Archibald and Michael Wiener. Producer show, except no, it was Luke today. Special thanks to Phil from DCAKA, Snapple on SoundCloud for intro music, Brad Hatcher, Alex Music, Inter Garrett, who holds his format for this show, and Inter News does insanely awesome watching the Photoshop workshops. You can check out our Twitter at Frizzle Motor Instagram at Frizzle Motor Functions. Frizzle Motor Functions. <laughs> See you Thursday. Functions.